Can you think of any stories in the Bible where people went through water and survived? I'll give you a minute to see if you can think of any stories that involve people going into or through some water and then coming out of it and surviving. Well, we just talked about one recently, Noah and his family in the ark. They went through the waters of the flood and they survived because God provided a way for them. Here's a couple more for you. Baby Moses in the basket that his mother made and she put it into the Nile River. It was kind of an ark for little baby Moses and he survived. He was brought out by the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, and raised up in the palace or God's people when they left Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. God provided a way for them so that God's people came through it safely. But the waters closed over the enemies, over Pharaoh's armies, and they all drowned. Again, before going into the Promised Land, Joshua leads his people through the Jordan River. They walk across on dry land, just like they did in the Red Sea. God brings them safely through to the Promised Land, through the waters. We're going to talk about another story where people go through the water and what that means. I'm so glad you've joined me today on Audacious Arrows, where we're becoming recklessly bold men and women of faith through the power of God's Word. Well, we left off last time with Mary and Joseph and Jesus returning from Egypt after the death of King Herod. And they come and they live in Galilee in a city called Nazareth. Now today we're going to jump. This is quite a few years later in Jesus's life and we're going to meet a new character. We're going to meet John who was like a cousin of Jesus or maybe a second or maybe even a third cousin. Um, He was a prophet and he lived a very simple life out in the wilderness where he wore clothes made out of camel's hair and ate a simple diet, locust, like grasshoppers kind of, and wild honey. And he um, was proclaiming to people, to asking people to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he was baptizing people. So we're going to talk about that today. So John the Baptist is very important. His parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah. And in a lot of the Christmas stories, you hear about them because Um, Mary was pregnant with Jesus at the same time Elizabeth was pregnant with John and they actually met and John was the baby who leapt in Elizabeth's womb when when they met okay we're also gonna bump into the Pharisees and the Sadducees and we meet the Pharisees and the Sadducees a lot in the gospel so I think it's important to know who they are these were like the ruling class of Jews kind of the upper class Um, The court, the Sanhedrin, was made up of 70 people, and they were all Pharisees and Sadducees. And the two groups were, they were both important. They were both leaders in Israel, but um, there's a little bit of differences between them. The Pharisees weren't quite as high class as the Sadducees. They primarily taught in the synagogues, and they believed in oral tradition. So they would read the law of Moses and the Old Testament, but then they would add some things to it from oral tradition that were kind of passed down. So they made traditions that go along with that. And sometimes Jesus talks about those traditions and rebukes them for it. Now the Sadducees um, were primarily in the temple. They were the chief priests, even the high priest was a Sadducee. And they were a little bit more political. They were kind of okay being under 
under Roman rule. Um, so they didn't like anything that would kind of offend the Romans. Um, and they were very by the book. They only believed in what they read in the Bible. They didn't add oral tradition to it. And both of these groups are going to come into conflict with Jesus often during his life. So it's important to kind of know who they are. They were very well-educated people who studied diligently God's word. They knew it in their heads really well. But I think we see time and time again that they don't understand it in their hearts because they don't understand who Jesus is. Okay, we're also going to have another quote from another prophet. Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, really quotes a lot of prophets. And I think it's good to read this one. So he quotes um, Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And this was written about 700 years before John the Baptist was born. I'm going to read more than just the verse that's quoted. I'm going to read actually verses 1 through 5. And you can turn there if you want to, um, or you can just listen. So this is Isaiah 40, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, so now that we have some of the context, we're going to jump in today with Matthew chapter 3. So take a minute to turn there. You can hit pause if you need to. And we'll jump in with Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start just at the very beginning of chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well, there's a lot of things that happen in this chapter, in chapter 3. It may seem simple at first. John the Baptist is baptizing, Jesus comes, he gets baptized, done. But there's really a lot in here. So let's jump in and talk about some of these things. Let's start with talking about repentance and baptism. So in the very beginning, we talked about that all through the Bible, there are examples of people going through the water and coming out of it. Noah and his family go through the floodwaters in the ark, and the ark keeps them safe and provides salvation for them. Moses goes into the waters of the Nile in the basket, and he comes out safe, so the basket keeps him safe. He's rescued and pulled out of the water, or drawn from water, his name even means that. We have the people of Israel, when they leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea. God provides a way through the Red Sea, and they walk across it on dry land. But their enemies, the armies of Pharaoh, are drowned in the Red Sea. The waters close up over them, and they drown. There's so many examples of this in the Bible, so those are just a few. And here we have one more example of that, the waters of baptism. People are being asked to repent. That word means that they're not just saying that they sinned or saying, I'm sorry for my sin, but they're actually turning away from their sin. So if someone had been a liar, they're saying, I've been a liar. I am going to stop doing that, and I'm going to turn and go a different direction with my life, for example. So whatever sins people were doing, they're turning to God. And then along with that, they're being baptized. They're going into the water and then being brought out of the water. And that baptism is a picture, just like in all of those Old Testament stories, it's a picture of going in the waters. The waters represent death. They represent the wrath of God that people deserve. We know that from the flood. We saw it there. The wrath of God. God destroyed all of the people because they had sinned greatly against him. And they deserved it. So that's what the waters here represent. And then coming out of the water is a picture of salvation. And we know from what we've talked about before that there is only one way of salvation. We're going to get to that at the end when we talk about the end of the chapter, we talked about Jesus' baptism. So that's what baptism was all about. It's a symbol of death and resurrection. It's a symbol of um, cleansing in a way, but not doing things to be cleansed, but going into the waters and then being drawn out into new life, to newness of life. Okay? So we have repentance and baptism. And then we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees come, and John has an interesting conversation with them. He, he isn't exactly friendly towards them. He calls them a brood of vipers. Who warned you to free from the, flee from the wrath to come? And then he talks about bearing fruit with repentance. So he's not talking about, like, go grow some apples and oranges here. But he's talking about that their life should have fruit. Their life should have fruit that, that 
is aligned with a repentant heart. So think about love would be a fruit that comes from a repentant heart. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Oh, I guess that's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Those are the kinds of fruits that John is talking about here. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit that lines up with a repentant heart. And he says that um, the trees that don't bear good fruit are going to be chopped down. Now, he's not just talking about trees. He's using a metaphor there. He's talking about people that don't bear good fruit and that they are under the wrath of God. Just like all the people before the flood were under the wrath of God and what happened to them, they were destroyed in the flood. He also uses the example of the, a winnowing fork. And if you're not a farmer, you might not know what a winnowing fork is. So when wheat or any kind of grain is harvested, um, well now people use a lot of machinery for it, but it used to be they'd use a winnowing fork and they would like toss it up in the air and then that way they would gather the wheat berries, the seeds or whatever grain it was they were harvesting would be heavier and it would fall down. And then the extra stuff like the stems and the leaves and the like the shell around the seed um, would be lighter weight and it would be blown away by the wind or it would um, be kind of blown away and they'd sweep it up and they would burn it. So that's what he's talking about there. So we're going to we're going to separate the wheat berries, the fruit of those plants from the chaff, the leaves and the stem and the part that we don't want to eat. So it's another picture kind of like a tree bearing good fruit. We can harvest that fruit, but if the tree isn't bearing fruit, what good is it? Okay, John also says to them, "Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father." For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So in a way, he's talking about, um, so Abraham wasn't just like their father, but their great, 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 a lot of greats, grandfather. And they were talking about, don't say just because you are Jewish, just because you are an Israelite, that doesn't mean that you're good to go. God can make children of Abraham from stones. He can make them from anything. So just being like biologically connected to Abraham is not good enough. You need to have fruit. So you need to have a heart that produces this good fruit. You need to be the wheat, not the chaff. And how do you do that? We're going to get to that when we talk about Jesus's baptism. Okay, so Jesus comes along And John is really hesitant. He doesn't think he should baptize him because he knows that really Jesus should be the one baptizing him. Jesus has no need to be baptized. He has never sinned. He's perfect. He has nothing to repent of. But Jesus says he needs to do it. John should baptize him to fulfill all righteousness. And there's um, some good reasons that Jesus is baptized. So let's think forward to Jesus's life. Is he going to die? Yes, we know that he is going to die. He does not deserve to die. He's never sinned. He deserves to live forever. But he dies on the cross. He lays down his life for others. And then he comes up out of the grave in resurrection, which he fully deserves. And he comes up into glory. Okay, so 
when Jesus is baptized, it's not because he needs to repent of sin, but he is demonstrating symbolically what is going to happen to him. And he's identifying with the other sinners. Jesus came to live life as a human being, as fully man, fully God. So he identifies with his people and he is the captain of our salvation. So in a way, he leads the way through baptism. He leads the way through a perfect, obedient life. And then he leads the way, not just symbolically through death, but actually through death to resurrection. So think of that when you think of Jesus's baptism, that he's the captain of our salvation leading the way, not because he needs to be baptized because he has sinned, but because he is the captain of our salvation and he's leading us through that. Um, Also, we can compare um, the baptism of the other people here with Jesus's baptism. So the other people in this story um, deserve death. They've sinned. They have things to repent of. So when they are go under the waters of baptism, it's symbolic of a death that they deserve. When Jesus goes under the water of baptism, it's symbolic of a death that he does not deserve because he has never, he has never sinned. When the people, the other people who are being baptized come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection to new life that they don't deserve, but they get. How do they get that life? How do they get that resurrection that they don't deserve? Why was Noah saved in the ark? How is God merciful? Well, Jesus died a death he didn't deserve. And then when he comes up out of the grave and here out of the waters of baptism, it's a picture of the resurrection that he fully deserves and he gives to us. He dies in our place for us. He dies the death he doesn't deserve, the one that we deserved, he dies for us. And so that we can also be united to him and gain his resurrection to glory. So it's important that he's also baptized because we have to be united with him. We have to follow him. So that is what Jesus' baptism is all about. It points forward to the reality of his actual death and resurrection and the fact that sinners can be united to him by faith. That's why during baptism, the picture of new life is a reality because because of what Jesus did for us. There's no works that we can do to earn our salvation. Jesus did the work for us. He lived the obedient life and he paid the price for our sins on the cross. That's why that picture of baptism works, that we're raised to newness of life. So there is a lot in this passage and I'm excited to, to read more about it to read more about God's beloved son with whom he was well pleased. And we're going to see more of Jesus's obedience in the passage to come. All right, let's talk about our memory verse for this week. This week, our memory verse is from Philippians chapter three, and it's verses seven and eight. So Philippians three, seven and eight. Now, this book of the Bible was a letter written to the, to the, Philippian church by Paul. And Paul was a Pharisee, actually. He was a very, a very religious man, but he was saved. And so then that brings us to our verse. And he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul sees that Jesus is the greatest treasure and all of the good things that he did as a Pharisee, all of his obedience to the law as a Pharisee, he knows it's nothing. It was just like garbage compared to Christ. Christ is the one who saves him, not his own works. And there is no greater treasure than knowing Jesus. Thank you so much for joining me today on Audacious Arrows. I love reading the Bible with you. And I hope that as we read about Jesus, that he would become your greatest treasure and your salvation. We'll see you next time.